You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Love one another deeply from the heart. In the name of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Good morning, everybody. Hallelujah. Christ is still risen. That's what I love about being a part of the ancient tradition of the church is one, a party isn't just like a thing that happens and then you move on from, but they stretch it out forever and ever and ever, it feels like. So we're still in Eastertide, and of all things to celebrate for a really long time, uh, this is one of those things. And as part of Eastertide, we sometimes get uh, a little bit carried away with the incense, so all of you who are coughing, I hear you. And I'll back it off a spoon or, or a couple of spoons or something. I don't know what happened this morning. My bad about that. But we just get excited about the resurrection. That's what it's coming from. This historic truth, this, this Jesus being raised from the dead, isn't just some sentimental spiritual thing that maybe we'll have like a picture in our house and go, oh yeah, that's a nice little story of inspiration. No, 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 no. This historic reality has altered Everything as we know it, the status quo is no longer the same. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, all of reality, all of reality is, is changed forever. It rings in our heads, the resurrection. It should. It should haunt us. I wonder what that means. Is it really true? What would that mean for us? It persists in our own personal lives, if you allow it to, to form you and shape you. It presses you and prods you. If Jesus is raised from the dead, then our lives, our interior life, our loves even, are changed, right? They come alive in the risen Jesus. Our families, this entire community, all of society has hope because Jesus is raised from the dead. That's why we celebrate. Amen. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead, we, you and I, have been given a brand new life a new way of doing things, a new hope. Our plans have changed. Heaven, and this is why our plans have changed, is because heaven is now crowding the earth, permeating it, seeping into all of its cracks, all the dry and dead places heaven is coming to. The goodness of God is seeping into our world, even as we know it. The risen Jesus, he's, I don't know, I think some of us may picture Jesus as like, really sweet and mild. I picture Jesus sometimes as like kind of provoking, a little confrontational, and his resurrection feels like the most confrontational act to our world that that can be. Like what? I've come back from the dead. Things are changed. Get on board. This is what's happening. All of reality, in fact, Jesus has behind him all of the created order that's now come alive with him, and he's leading that charge. And this isn't like a negotiation. That's what I love about it. It's kind of like matter of fact, This is what's happening. Jesus is risen, and new creation is breaking in. Now, as a community, if this is is the scope of this kind of news, this isn't like a precious moments thing that sits in our grandma's house, right? The risen Jesus. No, no, no. This This is the most incredible news that any of us can wrap our heads around. And for us as a community who bear the name of resurrection, all the more we've got to wrestle with what this means for us, right? Amen? Anybody on board with that? We've got to wrestle with what that means for us. We've got to be wondering, what does it look like now to come alive with the one who is risen from the dead? 
What does it look like for you and I personally, individually, and families, but as a community even, what does it look like for us to follow the one who has risen from the dead? What does it look like when God's people in our neighborhood realize the hope that's made available to them in the risen Lord? So many people just don't know. You remember when you found out for the first time maybe that not only that there was a Jesus who was the son of God who loves you and died for you, but he also was raised from the dead. Do you remember when you heard about that? Maybe this is the first time you heard about that. It changes everything for us. This is what we're considering this morning and in the weeks to come in this study through 1 Peter, which there's not like, I don't know if there's a better book in the Bible, honestly, of, uh, to be addressing this for a, a small church plant in South Austin than to be addressed by the Apostle Peter who was writing to small church plants scattered in exile and through all of, throughout all of Turkey, modern day Turkey, calling them to come alive because of the resurrection, this living hope that's been given to us. This is like, this is right in our wheelhouse, folks. This is us. So we're going to be looking at this, and I encourage you to come in the weeks to come, because so we're going to be going through First Peter and examining and trying to inspect what does it mean for us as a community to come alive in the resurrection as well. Well, to begin, I want to look at verse 17 in First Peter chapter 1. Let me read it for you. It says this. This is how Peter begins in verse 17. If you invoke as father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. Can Christians talk like that? Did you hear that? Let me read this again. If you invoke as Father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds. Do Christians talk like that? Apparently. What's going on? And therefore, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile? Now, if someone came up to you and said that, I... I know some of us would be thinking, we are not saved by works, though, brother, our deeds or whatever. Living in reverent fear of God? What religion are you talking about? This is about Jesus. This is about grace. What is Peter talking? This is Peter talking to us. Live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. What is he talking about? Well, as always, context helps us, okay? Peter has been speaking to those who have been born into this living hope because of the risen Jesus, and now their lives look really different than they did before. These people who have come to faith, who've been converted, seen Jesus, believed, put, put their trust in this risen Lord. It doesn't look anything like the old life that they had. Not only that, but okay, that's, that's, like, that's a lot of change in and of itself, right? But add on top of that, these are folks who are being persecuted. And not only that, but they've been scattered away from their homeland into foreign lands. And they're trying to make sense of this resurrection life in Christ amidst all of that change, all of that turmoil, all of that upheaval, upheaval. Now they have new responsibilities as so-called Christians, what it means to live after Jesus. They have new priorities, a new kind of way of ordering the things that are important to them. They're trying to make sense of that as well. They've got a whole new way of dealing with other people, relating to one another, First and foremost, Peter points out, it involves this kind of life in obedience, in following Jesus, it involves obedience to God. In other words, the grace that has found you, the grace that has saved you, is the same grace that points out the sin in your life. 
It's exposing all of those things that are broken in your old way of doing things. The grace that has found you and saved you is the same grace, like a spotlight that shines on those areas in your life that need to be healed and repented of and left behind. After all, Christ has risen from the dead not to uh, leave us to our own devices or abandon us in sin, but to lead us away from that sin. To lead us in that new life with him. And that requires obedience. So if we look at verse 17 again, if you're invoking as father, the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. Meaning, if this is the one you obey, this is the one you follow, your life, your deeds, the things, the way you live, it actually matters. It's not just throwaway. The truth of, your, of following Jesus is not just hidden in your heart, but we should see the fruit of it outwardly, shouldn't we? And even the way we spend our lives, the way we order our priorities, even the way we spend our money, the, the things we do, all of those should be lived in reference to this God who has saved us in this reverent fear of the God who loves us and who has saved us. So live that way. Order your life this way. This is what the resurrection life looks like to those you who are scattered. Peter continues in verse 18 and 19. He says this, You know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. Wow. You, you, you didn't find your way to Jesus maybe by like reading a book or something. Or because, you know what, one day you woke up and you were like, I'm going to do this the, the right way. I'm going to be wise about things. I'm going to figure out salvation here. You weren't, you weren't, saved in anything that kind of you did on your own accord, but you were saved by the one who, before the foundations of earth were laid, decided to find you and bring you to himself. It's his blood. It's his sacrifice. It's his doing. It's his grace that has found you and brought you to himself. Not from silver. You can't buy your way into the kingdom. Are you kidding me? No amount, no pile of silver or gold could bring you into the grace and the goodness of God. There's only one thing that has been able to achieve that, and that is Christ's own sacrifice for you. And this salvation, this salvation that has come to you, that has found you, despite you in so many circumstances, probably in all circumstances, this wasn't a last-ditch effort. This wasn't like plan B for God. It was laid out before the foundations of the earth were laid. It wasn't as if someday uh, God was like, well... Holy Spirit, that went south real quick. Uh, we're going to have to think of something else. Son, how about you go? I don't know. Let's just try something. No. No. This plan was, it was, it was thought of, it was conceived of in the very heart of the Trinity before anything was even created. Verse 20 says, before the foundation of the world was laid. How's that for planning ahead? Yikes. And finally, we come to Peter's main point. With all of this in view, with the way that we, we have been brought into the grace of God, with the way that we're to reorder our lives in the kingdom of God and live in reverent fear of God, obeying him, considering the fact that we have been ransomed to the love of God by his own son, all of that 
by the way, before time began, this was, the, this was the plan. All of that to this main point that Peter makes. If this is the love that has found you, then love one another in the same way. Y'all see that? If this is the love, the, the pre-planned, the sacrificial, the abundant love that has found you, then, therefore, love one another in this same way. Love one another in this way. If you call God your father, this God who's done all of this, if you call him your father, if you've been born anew into a living hope, because you've heard the good news that Christ has actually risen from the dead, then love one another. Love. But notice, um, Peter isn't just saying, you know, hey, love is love, like love. You know, you know love, right? No, he's, this is a very particular type of love. This is, this is not just some generic, um, like happy emotion kind of, let's just all get along kind of thing. This is a very particular brand of love. It's actually true love. This is where every other kind of love has gotten its inspiration from. But Peter makes two really critical points about this kind of love. This is the first. It isn't just a new perspective, a new way of like going about life. It is the fruit of repentance. It's the fruit of a people who have turned away, who have been ransomed from those old ways, have turned away from those ways, and have put their lives under the feet of Jesus, who say, God, I'm going to obey you with reverent fear. I'm going to do it the way you do it. It's the fruit of repentance. It's leaving behind those old ways that so easily entangle us, that compete for our attention. And it's relocating all of our trust in God. Reestablishing our hope, not in anything else, but the resurrection. When you put your trust in God and you hope in the resurrection, this is the fruit that comes, this kind of love. That's one of Peter's main points in this, this opening chapter. And the second one is this. I think, I'm seeing this. God's love was intended. It was intentional. It was pre-planned. It wasn't a whim. God just wasn't gonna take history as it came at him and just kind of like love as he goes kind of thing. No, he, he knew what he was gonna do before it all began. It was a very intentional love. Friends, I think we, I think we have something to get a hold of here, to learn even here. If we are to become a resurrection community, a resurrection people. If we're to come alive, in other words, in this risen Christ, then it means we have to love this way. Beginning with repentance, leaving behind those ways we've been ransomed from, and even being intentional, pre-planning, thinking ahead of the ways that we can structure our lives in such a way that we can love the way God has loved us. This isn't just a whim. It's very, very intentional. For those of you who think, yeah, I know, Sean, but like, love, I got it. I'm pretty nice. I go to work and stuff happens, you know, and then I just do my best to love. That's good. It's wonderful. Be intentional. But that's not, that's not exactly the fullness of what God's inviting to us in this kind of love. The, the love that we see in Jesus, if you picture Jesus, when, if you've read about him in scriptures, the love that he demonstrates with people is an out-of-the-way often super inconvenient, very costly kind of love, isn't it? That's the love that he demonstrates, something far deeper than maybe some of us are used to. It's a love that 
that is very, very deliberate. It's a love that honestly, if we're, if we're honest, if we can be for real here for a second, this is a love that cannot really come from us, I think, but is a love that has been given through us by the one who loves perfectly and rightly and justly with the fullness of the goodness of God. In kind of this strange, I'm going to use this word, sacramental way, I did it, God's love is given to us and to his people. And it's his prerogative, the way he's formed us and enriched us. And, and through us, we love others. And it has to be that way. If you attempt to love others the way Jesus loved them on your own power, on your own energy, on your own volition, folks, you're going to be disappointed. It's, it's like not easy. It's tough. And what hope is there for us when even those who are super hard to love, we can love from a reservoir that has no end. We can draw from this deep, deep well of the love of God that has been given to us through his son and empowered by the spirit working through us for the sake of others. That's a resurrection kind of love. This is in fact the kind of love that raised Jesus from the dead. I wonder what else it could do in our world. So why doesn't it work like this in our lives so easily? Sounds good, right? Why do we have so much trouble with this? I think because this isn't the kind of, the only kind of love that's out there. There's actually like a zillion kinds of love that competes for our attention and for our hearts. And the way that love works is the thing you love most, the thing you love first, it orders everything else in your life. So if there's something else at the top of the stack, guess what your life is going to look like? It's going to look like the top of the stack. What is your first love? What's the thing that keeps you up at night? Maybe another way of asking is, where have you really put your trust, your full weight of your life? What's the thing you value most? Where do you spend the great majority of your time or your money or your heart's care? Friends, if it is not a love of God, it's always, always, always going to lead to disappointment, to like not what you're looking for, trust me. It is only when we as human beings who have been created to have loves that is first God, that when we order our lives after love of him, our life comes alive. This is what it means to be a resurrection people, to put God first, love God, love your neighbor. Love, when, it, when it's enacted in this way, now picture this. When it's enacted in a community like ours, in a, in a place like ours, in a time like ours, in a world with headlines like ours, a love that is enacted in this kind of a people, it could change the world. It is, in fact, changing the world. And not only that, but when, when people look to the church and say, you guys talk about Jesus, but do we really see it? Love is what they're actually looking for, isn't it? Because love is the authenticating sign of a renewed life. That's how we know. That's how we see it, right? That love. It's the evidence, in fact, that not only is it true that Jesus has come alive, but we're right behind him, and he's leading the charge. This is, in fact, why we gather to worship. I don't know why everybody's here. I hope you're here because you love God. Maybe you're in a place this morning where you're like, I would like to love God, but I'm not sure I know how to do that, or I don't know what to do there. Well, you're in the right place. 
Because often our loves follow even, even the way we use our bodies, the things that we train and disciple and, like, and practice into our muscle memory as, as human beings. We can actually heal our loves and reorder our lives by the way we spend our time, by the way we use our body, by the words we say. They can actually start to realign those loves in our life. We can learn to pray rightly again. We can learn to love the one who loved us first. This is why so many of you tithe I know some of us are like, tithing, what's that about? The church needs to keep the lights on. No, it's way more than that. For us, Michelle and I tithe, we, we give because, and let's be frank, let's just be real for a second, money is the thing that seems to like have the most power and the most anxiety associated with it in human life. I don't know about you guys, but I worry about money sometimes. And it has this way of possessing us instead of us possessing it. And our loves become disordered. And so as an act of defiance, as an act of trust, we say, God, I'm going to ascribe all worth to you. I'm going to give the first of my paycheck, even 10% of it sacrificially to you as a way for myself to know my life is oriented under the love of God and not under, not under anything else. So we joyfully give. This is why so many of you serve. Because you know that in your practice, as you use your body and your skills and your talents and your gifts, you know that this isn't just about you, but it's about practicing to love others. I see you do it. This is why so many of you plan these selfless, intentional acts of loving each other by gathering in communities and table groups, smaller gatherings. Because we know that love compels us to love one another when God has gotten a hold of our lives it's like natural for us to eat good food, drink good beer, and love on people together, right? I think so. I've seen this. I don't have to convince you guys. I've seen this among you. I know. It's true. It's beautiful. This is what it looks like, I think, to be a resurrection people. This is what's incredible about this, is that this kind of love doesn't come natural to us, but it has to be practiced. And when I look at it at our church, I think, these people love really, really well. And that comes after years of years of practice. We fail, I fail sometimes, but we repent, we confess, we make things right, and then we move on, continuing to love one another. We say it not only with our words, but with our actions. I look at resurrection and I think this is a resurrection community because they're learning to love one another this way. Every week, this is what you say. Okay? Every week you stand and say this. We lift up our hearts to the Lord. You mean that? I hope you do. Because when we lift up our hearts to the Lord and Him only, that, that resurrection life begins to take place. And I even interrogate you a little bit when we come up to the table. I'm like, Are you sure about that? And you say, No, Sean, it is right to give Him thanks and praise. And I say, well, okay, then let's get on with this. It is right and a good and joyful thing, and we continue. You know that part of the service? May this be true in every aspect of our lives. Can I read this to you out of Ephesians 3, 14? It says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth take its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. And listen to this. 
Rez, here's my prayer for you. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Church, this is who you are. I don't know who you think you are, but this is who you are. Not in your own effort, though I love you, but out of the effort and the merits of Christ himself. This is who he's declared you to be. This is who he has saved you to be, this resurrection people. And even now, he stands ready to grant his life-giving love to you once again, even now this morning, as he offers himself in his body and his blood to us the most profound act of love that any human being has ever received. So let's prepare our hearts as we come to receive this act of love. And before we do, let us bend our knees and repent, correcting those ways that have obstructed this kind of love coming to us and flowing through us. Let's have a moment of silence even now as we ask the Spirit of God to expose those ways in us that we would be freed to love like Christ. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.